It's not one of our more familiar. Is this on? You turn it up just a little bit. It's not one of our more familiar songs, but it made me pay attention to the words better, so I like that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get started. Father, if, uh, we are thankful that we can be here tonight. We're thankful, Lord, for this time that we have together. I pray that you would use it to speak to our hearts. Lord, uh, only you know what is really present here this evening by way of need. I pray that you would meet those spiritual needs tonight. And I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I think you'll remember that last week we had the Stevens family with us as he reminded us and gave us an update on their work in Honduras, and then he preached. So I know it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in this study of the words of Christ. I hope that as we get back into it tonight that this message will be a help to us. I want to begin this evening by telling you a story that I first heard whenever I was a child. I don't remember how old I would have been when I heard it. Maybe it's a story that you heard somewhere along your way as well. But the story goes like this, that there was a small child, and because it was a made-up story, we're just going to go with a boy, all right? There was a small boy, and inside his home, there was a vase that was on a shelf on a mantle somewhere. And as this child began to play with it, this boy stuck his hand inside the vase, as a result of sticking his hand inside the vase, he was then unable to remove it, so it began to cause the child, the boy, to panic. So as a result of his panic, as a result of his fear, thinking that his hand would be stuck inside this vase forever, he went to his parents, explained the situation, and as the parents worked and worked and worked to get the boy's hand out of the vase, it was to no avail, so there was only one thing at that point that could be done. The parents went out to the garage, retrieved a hammer, brought it back inside, rested the boy's arm on some kind of a surface, and then shattered the vase that was entrapping the boy's hand. Whenever the vase was busted, here is what the parents discovered that the boy was clenched, or clenching, tightly clenching with a fist, a quarter that had been in the vase. Now, the point of the story, as I recall from my childhood, was this. Is that the boy could have easily let his hand slip back out if he had been willing to let go of what he was tightly holding on to. But because he was unwilling to let go of that quarter, the vase had to be sacrificed and there was loss experienced. And so again, I don't know if you ever heard that story or one similar to that, but nonetheless, I want us to think about that as we enter into our text this evening. I'd like us to turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to be this evening, and we're going to be looking at another familiar portion of Scripture that, of course, involves Christ and his interaction with those who came into his life. It is my hope and it is my prayer that every one of us will give attention to what is being said tonight, not because I have something of great importance to present to you, but I do believe the Word of God has something of great importance to present to every one of us. And so tonight as we were, or as we began looking in chapter 10, 
As we look there in verse number 1, we begin to see how Christ was, uh, it says, He arose from thence and cometh into the coast of Judea by the farther side of Jordan, and the people resort unto Him again. And as He was wont, He taught them again. So in verse 2 down through the next few verses, you find that Christ had some more dealings and interaction with the Pharisees. Then in verse number 13, we see how the young children came to Christ and the disciples rebuked them and tried to send them away. But again, Christ said to the disciples that they should suffer the little children to come unto him, forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. But as we come to verse number 17, here is what we read. It says in verse number 17 of Mark chapter 10, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So as Christ is making his way, as Christ is traveling somewhere, the scripture lets us know that there was this young man who runs to Christ and kneels before him and says to him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit or obtain eternal life? So the question by this young man is this, is what must I do essentially to be saved? This young man is mindful of life after death, and apparently there is some kind of concern on this young man's part as to what needs to be done so that one might have eternal life, so that, one, so that when one passes from this life, everything is good and everything is secured and, and everything is as it needs to be. And, and as we look at this passage, I, I want us to keep in mind that this does not appear to be some kind of a trick question where the man is trying to trip up Christ and get him to say something that should not have been said. This seems to be like, it seems to be a legitimate question on the part of this person, on the part of this young man. Christ, good master, what must I do to have eternal life? As we think about that, I also want us to think about this. I want us to give attention to this that obviously the young man was not 100% convinced that things were squared away in his life. If he was 100% convinced that things were squared away in his life with God for all of eternity, for, for all of life after death, he would not have run to Christ with this question. And so we look in verse number 18. It says, And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. So as he continues speaking, again, we know this story, but it says that Christ says in verse number 19, Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. So what Christ is doing is this. He's saying, all right, well, you need to not commit adultery. You need to not kill. You need to not steal, not bear false witness. And I know that you know this, but Christ was not suggesting to this young man that somehow he could work his way to salvation. 
Christ, who was omniscient, knew who this young man was before the man made his way into his presence. And Christ knew what was going to be asked. And Christ knew the direction of the conversation before it even began. And so here is Christ saying to this young man, well, you need to do this, don't do this, don't do this, and don't do this. So we know what is said in verse number 20. It says, And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. So the young man is saying, well, well Master, I, I've done every this, I've done all of this since I was a child. I have honored my father and my mother. I've never killed anyone. I've never stole from anyone. I, I've never done any of these things that you've told me not to do. I, I, I'm a good man, Master. Again, I, I've done everything that you've said. So in verse number 21, it says, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. So what does Christ say in verse number 21? He says this based upon the response of the young man. Again, Christ not suggesting that you earn your way to salvation with your works, but he was saying this, all right, there's one more thing that you need to do. You need to go. You need to sell all of your possessions. You need to give those possessions or the money that you make off of them to the poor, and then you need to take up your cross and follow me. So how many of us know what the response was of the young man? We know what it was in verse number 22. It says this, And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. In the book of Luke, it says that this young man was very rich. So he leaves grieved, he leaves sad, And the reason that he left grieved and the reason that he left sad was because he was a wealthy person. And here's what we see in this moment and in this context. He did not want to give up his wealth. He did not want to give up his possessions. He did not want to give up what he had acquired or what he had inherited. However he came about this wealth, we don't know. But but because of the wealth that he was in possession of, he did not want to let go of it, and he went away grieved. This evening, as we think about this, I want us to think about the rest of the story, so to speak, And I want us to think about how the scripture never lets us know what ultimately happened to this young man. The scripture never suggests that one day the young man realized the error of his way and he decided to sell all that he had and to give it to the poor and to take up the cross of Christ and to follow him. The scripture never tells us that he did that. I know that the scripture doesn't tell us that he did not do it, but for you and I to assume that this young man did what Christ said, that is only hopeful thinking on our part. That would just be you and I wanting to assume the best of this person, assuming that he saw the error of his way and made things right. But I would suspect and I would suggest to us, because the scripture is silent on it, 
I would suspect that the young man never made the decision to do what Christ said so that he might have eternal life. And I would say to you and I tonight that because this young man refused to let go of his wealth, it caused great loss in his life. The greatest loss anyone could experience in this life. The whole subject at hand was this, is what must I do to have eternal life? I want things squared away, not just in this life, but in the life to come. I want to know that things are good, not just today, but forever after I breathe my last breath. And the best we can tell is this, is that because he would not let go of his quarter, it cost him everything for all eternity. Think about what Christ said. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I want us to think about this tonight. This story and this interaction took place some 2,000 years ago. Some 2,000 years ago, however long this young man eventually lived, no matter what kind of a life he had, no matter what kind of a lifestyle he enjoyed, you know what he eventually did? He eventually did what everyone has or will do. And this is what he did. He took his last breath and entered into eternity. And a little over 2,000 years ago, he entered into hell. And today, he is still there. Why? Because he would not let go of the quarter. Now this evening, as we think about this, I want us to think about what has happened throughout the history of man. Throughout the history of man, we as people have grappled with what happens after death. That's that's a question that has been discussed and debated and argued and talked about for thousands of years, right? And here is what is true of the vast majority of people. The vast majority of people who have ever wrestled with that question, unfortunately, have entered into a literal, real place called hell. Because there was something they refused to let go of in obedience so that they might be able to have eternal life. We understand this, right? That the majority of folks who die do not die with Christ. The majority of folks die without Christ. Those numbers seem pretty evident, do they not? It's not because they had to go to hell. It's not because God forced them to go to hell. But they went to hell, so many of them, for this reason. There was something in their lives they refused to get rid of, that they refused to let go of. And because of that, 
They were never willing to just do what God's word said. Repent, follow Christ, take up your cross, and just obey him. Hell is filled with people who would not let go of something. And it cost them everything in the end. Maybe they didn't want to give up their lifestyle. Maybe they didn't want to give up their friends. Maybe they didn't want to be rejected by family. We don't know what it was. But the ultimate outcome is the same. They wouldn't let go. And it cost them everything. This evening, I'd like us to think about this. I don't know how this will be accepted by everyone, but I want us to think about this. That just because you and I are at church, it does not mean that everyone is truly saved and born again and ready for life after death. There are people, I am afraid, who go to church every week. They may even go to church often, if not faithfully. And though they are religious and though they are good people, they have never truly been born again and made right with Jesus Christ. They could say like this rich young ruler, I've never committed adultery, I've never killed anyone, I've never stole from anyone, I don't bear false witness, I've honored my father and mother. That They could say so many good things that they, are, that they are doing in their lives. But here is what is true, I think, of many, I don't know the numbers, but of many who sit in church, that while they are good people, that is all they are. But they do not have eternal life. And the only reason for it is this. There is something that they don't want to let go of. And I think it's possible that there are people like that in our church tonight. You're a good person, you're a moral person, you're an upright individual. You would help somebody if they were in need. But here's the problem. Things are not right with you and the Lord. And it's because you don't want to give something up. Maybe you don't want to give up your friends. Because if you got saved and if you made things right with Christ and you took up your cross and followed him, you know that it would require a whole new set of friends. It might be your lifestyle. It may be rejection from someone that's in your family that you admire, that you look up to. And you would say something like this, I just don't want to give that up. I'd like to remind every one of us tonight that whatever a person has to give up for eternal life, it is worth it. Amen. 
It is worth it. It's worth the pride being crushed. It's worth that broken spirit. It's worth the humility. It's worth a whole new set of friends. It's worth being laughed at. It's worth being made fun of. It is worth whatever it costs to make things right with God through Christ before it is forever too late. I am saying to us tonight as a church family, If there is a doubt in your mind as to whether or not you have a right relationship with God through Christ, you need to seriously look and consider what is keeping you from making it right. What would you be holding on to? What would be that quarter, so to speak, that you're going to hold so tightly to that you refuse to let go until it costs you everything? If you've got a doubt in your mind, you need to ask yourself, whatever it is that is keeping you from making things right, do you really think it's worth all of eternity? Hell is still real. It is still a place of torment. It is still a place of misery where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is a place that no one has to go unless they choose to go because they refuse to let go of whatever it is that's holding them back. This is not just a sermon for young people. This is not just a sermon for teenagers. This is not just a sermon for those who are nearing death, maybe, in their minds. This is a sermon for every one of us to give attention to. If we want to be made right with God through Christ in the area of salvation, then we need to be willing to let go of whatever it is that is holding us back. I would hope that every one of us would give some serious consideration to this truth tonight. That if you're not sure, you need to look and say, what is holding me back? But having said that, this evening here is what I also know. That while I believe that many, not many, while I believe that some in our church who are here tonight, have never truly been saved. I know that most everyone would say, but Brother Kyle, I am saved. You'd say, Brother Kyle, I I know when I got saved. I know when that transaction took place. I know when I humbled myself before God that I, I know when Christ saved me. We would say that, right? That's what many of us would say. Understanding the context of the passage I've just presented to us, I want to ask you a question. I want us to answer as to whether or not it's possible that after salvation, we are still able to mess things up in our relationship with God. We know it's possible, do we not? And and here's the thing, the only thing that can mess up our relationship with God after salvation is sin. 
Obedience to God never messes up our relationship with him. The only thing that can mess up one's relationship and break that fellowship with God after salvation is our sin. Now that being said, again, I understand the context of the passage. I understand how it most directly needs to be applied. But I want us to think about this. For those of us who would say, Brother Kyle, I'm saved and I know that I'm saved and heaven is my home. And I'm not worried about life after death. That is all secured and squared away and taken care of. Okay, I want to ask us this. Tonight as we sit here, can we honestly say that there is nothing between us and the Savior? Nothing between us and the Savior. Here is what I have discovered in my own personal life, and I think many of you would say the same thing has been true of you, that your testimony would be very similar to mine, that there have been times in your life where you have let sin creep in, and because of that sin... The fellowship is no longer what it once was, and it has come with a price, with loss. Would we agree with this? When the sin has crept into our lives, when the sin has has been allowed into our lives, and we have tolerated it at first, and then we have kind of adopted it into who we are as an individual, it has eventually cost us something, and we have lost things, not our salvation, but we have lost things like our peace and our joy and our contentment our satisfaction, our fulfillment, so many things in life that truly matter to us, we've begun losing these things one by one. Have we ever been there? Most of us have. And here is what I have discovered in the midst of my seasons of rebellion. It's usually not a lot of sins that I'm holding on to. It's usually not a lot of sins I'm holding on to. It's one sin in particular that I don't want to let go of. Does this sound familiar at all to your story or is it just foreign to me? I've been in many church services where the sermons were being preached, the Bible was being delivered, and the Holy Spirit of God was working in my heart. And here's what I was doing. I was wrestling with the Spirit of God because I was trying to convince myself that everything was good based on what? Based on all the right things I was doing at that time in my life. But here is where the problem was. There was still one area of sin and still one area of rebellion that I wasn't wanting to let go of. And until I was willing to let go of that, it continued to cost me things that I value. I don't know if this is making sense to anyone tonight or not, but I want us to think about this. You would say, Brother Kyle, I'm saved and I know that I am. Again, it's not in doubt in my mind. All right, I'm going to ask you, is there anything standing between you 
and the Savior. An attitude. A little sin that you think is little, but you know good and well because the Spirit of God has already brought it to your mind. You know good and well tonight that it's not a little sin or the Spirit would not be speaking to you about it again. It's something that no one knows about and you think it's a private sin just between yourself and and whatever it is. I want to say to you tonight, whatever it is you're holding on to, if you would admit to such a thing, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I would, again, I would suspect that all of us have been in a situation like this where we have finally let go of the quarter, so to speak. Lord, I'm tired of holding on. I'm tired of the frustration. I'm tired of the anxiety that it creates. I'm tired of all of that. And Lord, I just want to let go. Isn't it amazing how we regain immediately everything that we had lost when we were holding on to our sin? Again, this is not just a young person's problem. This is not just a young adult's problem. This is an issue for every child of God that sometimes the very thing that is keeping us from being right is just one issue that needs to be addressed. And so tonight, this may not be something that you need right now. This may not be a sermon that is is relevant to you. But I would say this, just to try to summarize this and, 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 and wrap it all up. I would say this, that if there is any doubt in your mind whether or not you are saved, that you are on your way to heaven, that if you died tonight, that you would enter into heaven. If there is any doubt in your mind, you need to be willing to let go of whatever it is that's keeping you from having that peace. It is not worth it. But if you would say tonight, Brother Kyle, I'm saved. I'm going to ask you one more time. Is everything right between you and the Lord? I don't know how it could be right with 100% of us tonight because I don't think most of us are that good all the time. You may be here tonight, though, and you may be able to say, There's nothing between me and the Lord. Things are exactly as they ought to be. But I would say this. If some little sin popped into your head that you have categorized as little, I just want you to know it's probably not little if God took the time to speak to us tonight through the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit puts something into our mind to let us know this still needs to be addressed, it needs to be addressed because there is nothing worth the loss of peace and joy and fellowship with our Savior that accompanies our sin. Are we where we're supposed to be tonight? If not, we need to be willing to take care of it this evening. Let's all stand and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. Lord, only you know the hearts of each person here tonight. 
God, only you know my heart. No matter how well anyone knows me, only you really know my heart. So God, only you know who here tonight is truly saved and who here tonight is lost. Lord, there may be some young people here tonight. There may be some adults here. There may be some that, that we would never suspect that they have been wrestling with whether or not they're truly saved. But tonight, I pray that you would help them if that's the case, that you would help them to see one more time that whatever it is that they're holding on to and whatever it is they're, they're refusing to let go of, I pray that you'd help them to see tonight that it's not worth what it'll cost them one day. Lord, I pray for those who are saved, but maybe we're not where we're supposed to be in our walk with you. We keep trying to tell ourselves that everything is fine and everything's okay because of all the good things we do. And yet you've laid something on our hearts tonight reminding us that this still isn't right. God, I pray that you would help us to be willing to address that, that we'd be willing to deal with it so that we can have back all those things we have surrendered in our disobedience. I pray that you'd use the invitation tonight however you see fit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.